It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Friday morning to you. Another week absolutely flying by. And as I look at the computer in front of me, which tells me what day of the week it is, uh, the date is always on it as well, just under the day, the day and the time. And it is, of course, the 11th of September. So today, very much a day where we remember 9-11 and remember all the lives that were lost on this day. It's just, it was back in 2001. So next year we will be celebrating, or not celebrating, but we will be remembering the 20th anniversary of 9-11. It's just incredible uh, to think it's already 19 years ago uh, today. And in many ways, even when you look at the film footage of it, it's as if it only happened, you know, a couple of years ago, how time has uh, rolled on. But for the families, I'm sure uh, this day is such a sad, sad day for each and every one of them. So we remember all the lives lost in uh, 9-11. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls at 1850 333 103 if there's anything you want to share with us today as always we love to hear from you you can also text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and whether or not to lock down Dublin and will we ever see a case where Neffet and the government will say enough is enough in Dublin when it comes to COVID-19 it is now time to bring in further restrictions and it seems according to today's paper that the population of Dublin, which stands at 1.4 million, they're being given a last chance to try to stop the spread of coronavirus. And if they don't, then they will face the prospects of new restrictions. Nefford yesterday urged the government to introduce new restrictions on family gatherings as fears are increasing over the rise in the number of cases uh, in our capital. Nefford called for rules on indoor gatherings to be significantly reduced to allow only people from two different households to meet indoors. At the moment, the current rules allow for six. You can gather with six people. Now, the six people are not meant to come from no more than three households. The idea being there that uh, you could have three couples uh, meeting up 
or you could have a parent and a child from three different households all meeting up so that the children maybe could have a play date and the mums and dads could have a cup of coffee or whatever. But that's what the current rules are. But Neffert are now saying that they want to reduce that even further and get it down to no more than two households uh, meeting up. The recommendations are aimed at clamping down on the spread of the virus from family gatherings and from people mixing with households other than their own. Now, however, the government yesterday decided to sit on those recommendations and they're saying, let's wait, let's give the good people of Dublin another week before making a decision on restrictions. The government is expected to urge people living in Dublin and also, let's not forget our near, near neighbours in Limerick, they're not doing too good either. They're, they're going to urge both people in Dublin and Limerick, and you can already hear it on some of the ads we're even running, to limit their social contacts, especially this weekend. And they've even gone so far as to ask people in Dublin and Limerick to cancel any party or any celebration that they may have already planned for this weekend. Now, I think that's going to be tricky because we're now, we would never have thought that we would be saying this, but now in the month of September, there's a lot of communions and I'm assuming confirmation ceremonies going on. I know last weekend there was a lot of First Holy Communions were held, certainly in the Mallow area, and there was great photographs I'm sure it was Stephen Murphy of the Mallow Star. In the Mallow Star, there was gorgeous photographs of, you know, families at communions. And I know communions are very different in that grandparents can't even attend the actual First Holy Communion Mass. But many families then will have some kind of a little gathering, maybe just for family, but that gets extended out because the grandparents will come, the aunts and uncles will come, maybe some of the family friends will come. And there will be celebrations in people's houses where the people will be coming from more than three different households. So what the government are saying, particularly to people in Dublin and Limerick, if you've any kind of a party, any kind of a family gathering planned for this weekend, there's asking them to please cancel them. How many will heed the advice? Only time uh, will tell. Now, yesterday, the figures for Dublin alone was 107 additional cases in in Dublin. Roland Glynn warned that the rate of community transmission was still too high and therefore he's asking people to just be more cautious. He's saying by limiting our contacts we limit the opportunity of COVID-19 spreading through the community and ultimately we will be protecting our families, we'll be protecting our communities and and the ones we need to protect are those who are most vulnerable to the severest impacts of the disease. Neffert also recommended postponing the reopening of wet pubs in Dublin because of the concerns about the impact. If you open up the pubs, there's going to be more social gathering and particularly while the new cases are still so high in Dublin, Neffert are saying really to the government, you need to look at the opening of the pubs in Dublin and maybe decide that the pubs can open up elsewhere around the country, but maybe for now, keep the pubs closed in uh, Dublin. And it was interesting that Neffet uh, did not urge against opening the pubs in other parts of the country. They're saying, look, go ahead with other parts, but leave them closed in Dublin. Now, that will go down like a lead balloon with the Vintners Federation. uh, They have their own organisation that represent just the Dublin pubs and they have been very vocal about wanting to see the Dublin pubs opened. And, of course, all of the Vintners have been given the go-ahead for the pubs to open Monday week, the 21st of September. So many of the Dublin pubs will be already at this stage putting their orders in and making sure that everything's okay in, in their pubs. So if they get the news next week that they're not allowed to open I think there will be 
uproar. And if you if you listen to what the government said yesterday of saying, look, let's give the good people of Dublin another week to try to get their house in order. Let's see if they'll heed the advice, if they'll cancel any parties or any social gatherings for this weekend. Give them another week. That means it will be this time next week if we still continue to have high numbers every day and that the bulk of those numbers are coming from Dublin as they have been over the last two weeks. Then it'll be this day next week that the government will have to come out and make this decision to put restrictions in for the people of Dublin and obviously one of them would probably be that the pubs can't open and that would probably be very, very unfair on the publicans who at that stage, this this day next week with only a few days to the pubs opening will be all ready and will have their stock in. So I think the government really need to think long and hard about this and make the decision I think sooner rather than later. Let's see how the numbers fare out over the weekend. But what has really worried me when I've been following every single day getting almost obsessed again with the figures what are the numbers for, the, for, for, for today and then I try to look down through the breakdown of the numbers for each day and of course then we, we always bring it back to Cork don't we we look at the figures for Cork because we have been doing so well here in Cork only yesterday when I was mentioning the map that was on all of the newspapers yesterday which was looking at the rate of Covid infections over the last two weeks county by county and they rated them from the highest number of Covid cases down to the lowest numbers and I was thrilled to see Cork. We were third from the bottom. We are only one of three counties that have single digit figures for the number of cases per 100,000 people in Cork. We've only, for example, at 7.2 was the number for the last uh, two weeks compared to Dublin per 100,000. They were at just under 68 cases per 100,000 whereas Cork adjusted over seven and when the figures came out yesterday no new cases reported in Cork but the big worry from the figures yesterday and over the last few days is the rising COVID-19 cases in the older age group 27 of the people newly diagnosed yesterday with the virus were people over the age of 65 and it seems the virus has been slowly encroaching amongst the vulnerable older age group and in the last two weeks 89 of those infected with the virus over the last two weeks were over the age of 75 and that's a doubling of the number infected in the previous fortnight and the increasing impact on susceptible older people who have been largely spared from the virus over the summer. Uh, They were announced uh, when the figures came out yesterday 196 new cases of coronavirus diagnosed uh, yesterday and the HSE COVID-19 testing service admitting that they're coming under pressure and of course something we discussed yesterday it's forced them to pause screening of workers in meat plants and it seems now they'll be going back to do the serial testing next week because so many people now are coming forward for testing they had to say look we need to get these people tested because if they've been put forward by a GP but there was you know certainly upset uh, and uproar when it was um, when it was discovered that they weren't going to be doing the ro- the rolling serial testing in meat plants, but it does look like it'll be back uh, next week, and also to try to help with the amount of additional COVID nineteen cases we're seeing in both Dublin and in 
Limerick. The first ever walk-in testing centre was opened in Limerick City yesterday where people can simply attend for a COVID-19 test without an appointment. And that's the first testing centre or walk-in testing centre that there has been anywhere in the country. I know they opened up new, there's been additional new testing facilities opened up in Dublin, new pop-up ones, two extra opened up in Dublin, but you still needed to get a referral from your GP. You still have to be triaged over the phone or seen by a GP and then sent forward for testing. But this one in Limerick is really interesting. They're putting the word out to people in Limerick that if you have any symptoms or you suspect in any way that you may have COVID-19, then please come along to this walk-in testing centre and do I take it from that they're worried that people in Limerick are walking around with symptoms and for whatever reason and I don't know what the reason is but they don't want to go forward to their GP they prefer instead to uh, self-refer and then that got me thinking We had a call in during the week from a man whose son, he reckoned, was presenting with symptoms of COVID-19. But the GP cost was putting off his son making the call because if his son made the call and he was referred for a COVID-19 test, then there wouldn't be a charge. But if you ring the doctor and the doctor decides, no, that isn't COVID-19 related, that's related to something else that you have then you have to pay for the consultation. And this man was saying his son didn't have the money and therefore wasn't going to go forward. And that panicked me because my advice to that man was please tell your son to pick up the phone, uh, particularly when he seemed to be presenting with COVID-19 symptoms. So I wonder how would people feel if this became a nationwide decision that everywhere, that every area Every county, say, or for the size of Cork City and County, we'd have to have uh, probably a few more of them. But would people prefer if there was a walk-in test centre or would it lead to people who maybe are a bit neurotic and a bit over the top worried about getting COVID-19? Would it lead to people going forward for testing who really don't need to go forward for testing? At the moment, you ring your GP, your GP will talk you through the symptoms and if your GP in any way suspects that you might have might have COVID-19 then you are simply sent forward and that it does look like I mean the fact that they had to cancel and pause the screening of the workers in the meat plants it just shows that the pressure that the COVID-19 testing service is coming under I wonder if you had walk-in ones would it lead to more people coming forward who really don't need a test at all I don't know but I just thought it was really interesting there must be some suspicion that people in Limerick for whatever reason have symptoms and they're just not going forward and I don't know why they're not picking up the phone and I don't know why they're not ringing their doctor and I hope it's got nothing to do with what we touched on yesterday the very notion that some people are worried about getting COVID-19 and feel there's almost a stigma attached to it and it would be almost shameful if you got a COVID-19 diagnosis and that is that definitely is a worrying trend if that is happening around the country because that will stop people who genuinely have COVID-19 it will stop people going forward because they, they fear that there is a stigma and there should be absolutely no stigma to picking up COVID-19 because COVID-19 is a highly, highly contagious virus. I know we're all doing our very best. We're all doing the hand washing. We're all doing the cough etiquette, the wearing of the mask, the social distancing. We're all doing our very best 
to avoid getting COVID-19. But I have interviewed many people since the outbreak of the pandemic who will say they did everything that they thought was humanly possible and they still picked up COVID-19 and for many of them they don't even know where they picked it up and that's why the health experts get particularly concerned when they start seeing the amount of cases in the community, people that get diagnosed with COVID-19 who literally are left scratching their heads saying, I do not have a clue how I picked up COVID-19. I wasn't in contact with anybody uh, with COVID-19 and therefore huge concerns by Neffet that it's spread out into the community and people are walking around with this. That's why with any symptoms, please, you need to pick up the phone and ring your GP and your GP will let you know whether you need to go forward for a COVID-19 test or not. And I know the Cabinet's COVID-19 subcommittee, they met uh, yesterday. Now they focused in the main on this mid-term living with COVID-19 plan that's due to be published early next uh, week. Um, and it's this is the one that we, t- we mentioned it yesterday and actually there's commentary in the paper it seems to be on whether it's leaks or not but there's a lot of a lot of commentary in the paper about it. The plan which is due to be unveiled next week will have five levels of restrictions with the most severe seeing whatever area it is return to where we were back in full lockdown. That would be, it goes from level one to level five. If an area hits level five, if the numbers are just so high that the government decide that this particular county or this particular part of a county goes to level five which which will then mean the most severe limitations on that area. It'll see people, for for example, told order to stay at home. You'll be allowed out to exercise probably for an hour a day, but you'll have to stay within five kilometres of your home. It'll be very, very similar to what it was. Remember in the early parts of the national lockdown, the parts of the lockdown that none of us really liked. The only thing I think that saved us at the time was, remember we had that wonderful spring weather, but nobody wants to return to that. So we're expecting the government to give us more details on that. It'll be about published early next week but and here's a bit of good news because I'm always going through the papers trying to find any glimmer of good news to share with you it is understood that the government will be allowing people to start attending sporting events from next week because I think there hasn't been a day gone has gone by where we haven't had people bemoaning the fact that they haven't been able to go to a, a local GAA or a local football match or whatever it is so it looks like from next week now I imagine it'll be social distancing and numbers will be limited but it'll certainly increase from what, what is it at the moment 15 can gather outside that certainly will change uh, it's understood the government will make that announcement from next week there's a bit of good news for you on a Friday if you're a sporting fan 1850 103. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Why can't they close down Dublin, says a texter. Why should they get away with this? And the texter also says, why can't they carry on with the testing at the meat plants? Is it Larry Goodman getting away with it all and to hell with the rest of us? Well, Leo Varadkar explained yesterday why there was this abrupt halt at the meat plants. And he says it was a temporary measure. And he said the reason for it was to address the surge in tests being sought by members of the general public. And he gave some numbers. He said, for example, there had been 13,000 test requests 
from members of the public on Monday. That would have been through the GP service. Add to that, there was 3,000 tests requested from hospitals. So for Monday alone, there were 16,000 people put forward for testing. Now, the national test capacity every day is set at 15,000. So they were already 1,000 over what is the national test capacity. And that meant that the meat plant tests couldn't go ahead. But Leo Varadkar, the Thornish, there was a pains to point out that testing in meat plants were due to resume next uh, week. Uh, and that hopefully will allay people's uh, fears. Someone else says, children have been let down all of this year. Why are the government dictating to us, making rules and we're like prisoners in our country? Uh, now, this listener feels they're making mountains out of molehills mole and she's sick of the scaremongering. All week it was children. Now it's people over 60 and 70. Who will it be next week? Well, the reason that they're highlighting people over the age of 60 and uh, 70 is because unfortunately that age group now we're starting to see a rise in people and we went for many many weeks particularly during the summer months where when you know on average every day they were giving out the the median age of the people who were testing positive and it was generally people people under the age of the 45 I mean at one stage I remember looking at figures and people over the age of 65, there was only 2% of those that had tested positive were over the age of 65. And that was welcome news because what we know from our death rate, it's the older population. If they get COVID-19, not everyone over the age of 65 who gets COVID-19 is going to die from it. But unfortunately, we have seen too many older people with underlying illnesses, people who would have lived for many, they had an underlying illness, but they would have lived for many, many more years, except that they got COVID-19 and then they ended up dying uh, because of complications from COVID-19. That's why that group has got to be protected. So, uh, and I know at times it probably does feel like scaremongering, but it's not. It's been done and it's been said in order to protect all of those people. Anne says, morning, thank you for your text. Morning, Patricia. I think it would be crazy to reopen wet pubs in Dublin with such high numbers of cases in our capital. The whole reopening of pubs is worrying, says Anne, with our unhealthy relationship with alcohol in this country and the whole pub crawl scenario and that I think Neffert are very concerned about as well and I imagine the government are very concerned about it and the people in the Department of Health are concerned that when the pubs do reopen that we are going to have people going from pub uh, to pub uh, hopefully not 1850-333-103 and just a couple of other calls in Pat in Mallow was on here's a nice one to say My, this is to do with the old court cemetery in Donnerill my mother and father are buried at the old court cemetery in Donnerell, Pat tells us. And he said there was a lot of controversy over the years about the state of the graveyard and people were very upset about how overgrown and how neglected the graveyard was. Well, Pat wants to say in recent years, fantastic work has been done at that graveyard and he said the graveyard now is in great condition and he said it's a credit to the man who's looking after the graveyard. Now I do, does anybody have a name? I love to give one when people do something like that and that it's so appreciative by somebody like Pat who obviously regularly goes to visit his parents' gra- graveyard and there is nothing like walking in to a beautifully maintained graveyard if you've a loved one buried there because it just seems so respectful doesn't it of our dead to have a really well maintained uh, graveyard and if there is somebody, if there is one name of one person who is responsible for that work, then I think that they should be publicly acknowledged. So if anybody knows the name of the gentleman that Pat in Mallow is referring to, who looks after the old court cemetery in Donnerell, can you let us know, please? 1850 333 103. And Eileen Kingston 
our Clonakilty reporter was on to us and has asked me to give a mention today and to say, uh, send birthday greetings to a Clonakilty native and businessman, Peter Walsh, who is celebrating his 50th birthday this year. And to mark his own birthday, he's not having a big hoolie. He's taken on board all the advice that you can't have a gathering, you can't have a big birthday, but he wants to do something because reaching 50 is a milestone. So he's decided to do some, to do a 50 kilometre walk. And he's going to do it to raise badly needed funds for the Inchidani Inshore Life. Lifeboat. So he's starting his walk tomorrow morning from the Virgin Mary Bank at 8am in Inchidani and he'll proceed to Sam's Cross, Shannon Vale, Ballinascarthy, Timaleague, Court McSherry before returning to Inchidani via Ring Village. It's a 50 kilometre walk. Don't know how long it's going to ta- take him but he's certainly heading off at 8am tomorrow morning. So keep a lookout for Peter Walsh and Shout happy 50th birthday to him at the same time. It's an incredible thing to do. And if you would like to contribute to Peter's fundraising efforts on behalf of the Inchidani Inshore Lifeboat, then you could go to his iDonate page, idonate.ie forward slash Peter Walsh 50 kilometre walk. It's idonate.ie. But well done. I hope you get a nice fine day for it because it's a lovely area that you're walking through as well. And people, as I say, who will be, will see him out and about walking tomorrow. Sam's Cross, Shannon Vale, Bandiscarthy, Timberley, Court McSherry before returning back to uh, Inchidani via the Ring Road. You pass him on the road. Toot your horn, please. 1850 We're going to take a break and we're back trying to find out why artificial grass was installed this week on parking spaces in Formoy Town. Or today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And thank you to a whole host of people who heard me mention Pat in Mallow and his comments about the old court cemetery in Donorell and how it had been very badly neglected. And then thanks to the work of a particular gentleman, the graveyard now is looking fantastic. And Pat wanted uh, to thank the gentleman. And I was wondering what was the gentleman name. The gentleman's name by all accounts is John Ryan and many people have called and texted us to say that that's his name and actually people are delighted to hear that we're mentioning him today and that we're publicly thanking him. So I don't know if John Ryan is listening to us but in case he's not, if anybody sees John Ryan today, will you tell him please that we were complimenting him on the fantastic work that he's doing at the Old Court Cemetery in Donorail and that so many people have contacted us this morning to say uh, what a great work he's doing and that how much they appreciate the work that he's doing in looking after the graveyard. So well done to John Ryan. Now on Tuesday of this week we were contacted by some listeners who were very annoyed to see artificial grass installed across a number of parking spaces in Formoy Town. Such was the anger that some business owners parked their cars on top of the grass preventing further works. Local councillor Frank O'Flynn joins me with an update on this uh, story. Good morning you, Frank. Uh, good morning, Patricia. Good morning, listeners. Now, this artificial grass is part of Project Act. You've been chairing the meetings of Project Act. Is it true that you didn't know about the installation of the grass? I know nothing whatsoever about it. There was no cons- consultation with any councillor. Now, I was chairman in the past. I'm not a new chairperson. New chairperson will be Kay Dawson. I was chairperson up to the end of June. Uh, we had a very, very, we had five meetings of my um, you could say for my town, and we call them for my town teams, and they incorporated the businesses, the communities, 
at the older people, the Gardaí, the Vincent's hospitality, across section of the whole community. They worked exceptionally well. On this, I got numerous phone calls. One person said to me, Frank, come in quick. Uh, the Greenway has started in Pomoy. There was no consultation with the business people, and we were very strong... Uh, uh, say, working relationship, good working relationship with the business people always in Formoy, and this was an absolute disgrace without any consultation, nothing whatsoever with any one of the councillors or any one of the businesses. Okay, so and I'm sorry for surprised. laughing, but when you said that the Greenway has started, um, well done to whoever came up with that. But okay, what what's the logic behind the installation of this artificial grass? No one knows. No one knows whose idea was it, who decided to put that, why was it put there. We were looking at the people came and told us, the business people told us, we put a stop to it completely. They intended to put in tables and chairs. Now, it was put in first day, they said to widen the streets, to make it for safer distancing. That would be completely going to the completely opposite because it would table and chairs that people. There was actually no one used it or walking it since the ballers went in. We had some tweaking it because we worked very well with the business people and the communities in the my town team. We put in two extra spots there. We tweaked them, we made less ones, we reduced the number throughout the town, and there was full consultation. Patricia, the big problem with a lot of people, and the big issue, especially in the COVID, and fair juice to the business people, the most of them on that side of the street, because there's no coffee shop there, there's no restaurant there, so I don't know where they're going to get the coffee and the tea to use in the tables. Uh, the businesses there, all of them actually, chemists, and they stayed open during COVID. They provided a tremendous service, safe to the people. And the most important thing to people when it comes to my eyes, the business people, they need support. Shoppers need to have a, a, an experience, the quality. Most people now are click and collect. They'll ring in, as all the military told me, they'll ring in, they'll order, they'll pay over the phone, they want to drop off, we'll bring it out to them, and they're gone. How uh, many How many parking spaces have been covered with artificial grass? There's up to about six parking spaces. Six? Inside, in the main town, the main thoroughfare. Because, I, as I said at the outset, parking and accessibility for both the businesses and the shoppers is key. And if we take away the parking, because the businesses are the people who provide the services, they pay the rates, they pay for water, pay for it, they provide them. Now, we in Cock County Council, they came and they spoke to us. We are providing off-street off car parking free until January in our Great. car parks, which has gone down for it. The business people have bought into it. We are asking people to stay local and shop local. And one person last night she said, Frank, this is driving people out for my... I put a rank Cock County Council straight away. I said, put a complete halt in it. And I'll be calling it our meeting on Tuesdays. Take it up and put in five minute slots, which are working very, very well in other parts of Patrick, Patrick Street. And the business people, we have to listen to them. And we have to go back to have full consultation. And there has to be flexibility in anything we do. So it's working because the June because July, project, the project Act, just to remind uh, listeners, is a series of measures by Cork County Council and all of this, this, the different town teams. As you mentioned, uh, Frank, this is the Formoy town team that we're talking about. But Project Act is designed to give confidence to the business, retail and community sectors. This does not sound like something to me that's certainly giving confidence to the business and the retail sector. Patricia and listeners and business people from my and other town, this was going completely the opposite. It's absolutely bonkers. We do not know who came up with the idea. We will be getting the answers, I presume, on Tuesday. We have put a stop to it. We have to go back. And we also have to rebuild the trust with the business people from my. They're absolutely tremendous. It's my town. I worried about it. I'm very, very concerned. And I never saw so many business people and the public who were so irate 
You can see it on Facebook. You can see it on Twitter. You can see it in the local papers. This is something that should never have happened. We have to park that. We have to move on and build up the trust and work and start working again with the business people from my to ensure that when people come in, it is a quality town. It's a beautiful town. We have tremendous um, number of shops on the main street and the outskirts. And I want to start again the, the trust and build it again with the business people from my and make uh, for my town and other towns uh, another a place that you can go in quality. Okay, stay stay there. Let me bring in one of the uh, businesses. Eddie Sheehan is on the other line and Eddie is um, with Birmingham newsagent in uh, Formoy. Good morning to you, Eddie. Good morning. Uh, Eddie, did you witness the laying of the grass on Tuesday? We witnessed the laying of the grass on Tuesday and couldn't actually believe what what was going on. Um, So on Wednesday, I spoke with um, another trader and we put our cars on the green plastic because it's not grass, it's plastic. Um, so the, we met with somebody from the council then um, and agreed to have a meeting at half past one, uh, which went on for about two and a half hours. Um, the engineer was there for a while. Um, in the course of that meeting, he agreed that they would not put in benches when it was pointed out to him that the fact that you would uh, allow people to be socially integrating there, whereas the purpose of it in the first place was for social um, distancing. And the newspaper article says that there was, that we agreed with them that they could put in the plastic grass. That is not true. That is simply just not, not the situation. The last thing that was said, they asked me would I move my car, and I didn't respond to that. Now, secondly... There was no consultation to anybody, which I just listened to Frank O'Flynn there. He was the chairman of, of the Project Act. And he knew nothing about it. And he knew nothing about it. Look, they had, they had this green plastic left over from a Halloween event. And it was as if, what will we do with this? Let's, let's put it on the main street. And have picnic tables and chairs and what, we'll all bring our, our picnic baskets and we'll sit on the main street and have a picnic. And a put, uh, maybe you could have a putting green. <laughs> yeah. so I, I, we shouldn't laugh. In, 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 in geography or town planning, there's no such thing as a linear space where you can sit down. Not in a street, not in a town like Vermoy. No, I mean, you know, someone is making the point that, you know, it's, it's a lovely idea, but it's in completely the wrong place. It's completely the wrong place. The 15-minute car slots would work wonderfully well. We say that to them. People can come in. We say, we have a news agency. We have a gift shop. Um, and people come in. They might have paid for something. Bring it out to the car. They're there for 10, 15 minutes. That would work perfectly well. And they would allow movement of people. Um, this Project Act, they talk about um, activating activity. This is deactivating and at the best of times, uh, Eddie, are you stuck for parking in Fromoy Town? Oh, yeah. Well, you see, the, the, the car parks are... The, the one down at the end of the town is a good distance away. The one up on Connolly Street is up a hill, and the other one is down on the island. Okay. Now, that's fine if you're a young one like yourself. Thank you. But if you're an older person with a walking stick, maybe you're not too good on your legs, yeah. well... That walk isn't there. So you do yeah. need to be able to pull in or for somebody to pull in, let you out of the car, 
do what you're supposed to do. Well, yeah, well, Frank was talking like at a chemist shop and, you know, pick exactly. up your prescriptions every month and, you know, click and collect is great and, and the, someone yeah. from the chemist will, will, will come out uh, to you. And is Frank right, um, Eddie, when he said six parking spaces were covered with the grass? Oh, yeah. And there was more, except they agreed to put in two 15-minute slots. Like, we, we, have a, we have a gift shop and I would bring out furniture, bring out mirrors, bring out gifts out to people's cars. Would if you? They get, if they can get a space. Yeah, yeah. And, and they can take a, a look at it in the car and decide, yeah, I'll have that, Eddie, and then they'll buy it from you. They, or they might have bought it beforehand and we would just be sort of putting, putting it into the car for them. Um, Frank, I can see a number of people are, are asking who paid for this artificial grass to be put down. Well, that's one of the questions we'll be asking on Tuesday, and I, t- I fully support Eddie there, and there's Michael Welch there beside him as well. Uh, were, um, and I'll be calling his uh, full consultation going forward. But and was the Cork County Council funded it? We, we, I presume it was. And who, somebody else says who actually laid the grass? Was it County Council workers? Well, I was told it was Cork County Council workers, and I was also told because there was kind of a, they weren't going to put in, I was told that there was staff there, and they were ready to put in tables and chairs the following morning, which was absolutely crazy. And the most important thing is this. No consultation with the business people. None whatsoever. None with the councillors. Whose idea was this? What are we spending good money and scarce funding? Uh, and this is something that's not wanted. And is Eddie there and he's a business person there and the other businesses? Parking, parking, parking. Parking and accessibility for the business people and the shoppers is paramount. That's something I'm going to get. And I'm delighted that Eddie has raised it. The 215 minutes class that we were outside Hickey's are walking a dream. We put them outside Spillane's which were outside Justin Hanley's. We put them there on the other side of Fitzgerald Butchers as well. They're walking. I will be calling on Tuesday to give us parking back and put in 15 minutes slots. The businessman okay. who's living there and walking there, you know. We've also elderly people who are living upstairs over the shops. There's very few towns now and there's something we're encouraging. They were very, very concerned as well as well as, well as their families. They're very elderly, well into their 90s and they need a quality of life. They always live there. Yeah, and people are asking who who actually thought it would be a good idea to put this artificial grass and a picnic tables and chairs in the middle of town and somebody's saying with all the fumes you'd be sitting there having your picnic and and inhaling all the car fumes. The the sun never shone on that side of the town. Oh, is it okay? All right, Eddie? I I, I asked at the meeting was there a risk assessment carried out? What did you do to say was this safe? What health and safety considerations were considered? And they looked at me as if I had sort of five heads. Stay there, Deirdre uh, O'Brien. Councillor Deirdre O'Brien wants a, a quick word on this. Um, good morning, Deirdre. You're morning, you're Deirdre. unhappy with the social distancing bollards. Yeah, well, it's all kind of the same as all the Project Act, I suppose. And like Patricia, this was agreed at CPG Corporate Policy Group in Cork to introduce this Project Act. And we as councillors at the time were told, you know, with the Health and Safety Authority that we had to implement the... the um, the measures that were put in for social distancing. Now, at this stage, it was May. We hadn't. We were still in lockdown. We were preparing to open up um, our towns and, and um, get them ready. You know, get them back functioning again. And we, at the time, were told like there's going to be queues all over the place. But like at the moment, we don't have those queues. People are back working. That time, people were off. They were shopping local as well. They're moving about now, and it is our local traders that need our help now. Like space outside your door is like a jackpot. It is worth anything to you for someone to pull in, look in your window and say, God, I'll go in there mm. or to get whatever they want. I've known myself, I've been in business. 
I have seen where I put in motions looking for safety measures in ramps and, and signage and lines. And I've been told, oh, is this and you know, it's a safety people would be. And I've been told, oh, that's a policing issue. Maybe the police, you know, it's people's behaviours. We now have bollards, put a fortune to these bollards all up around the place and they're not being pleased. You will get people that adhere to them, that do what they're told, but you do get people that don't, that would, no matter what you put up around the place, they will do their own yeah. thing. And they're yeah. not pleased. Okay. And I'm saying, this might be about the money spent. Just to say they're age-friendly. I can see my own self in Mitchelstown here. We be it um, an age-friendly town. Um, what we've done is we put bollards all up by the church. The one thing our age and generation call is mass. And now they've they've been prevented from going to getting off at getting into the church because they go in this side gate. They can't. There's no step down, and there's nowhere for parking. Okay. Okay. Listen, you know? I'm I'm way over on time, dear Jay. I appreciate that. Thank you for that. Um, uh, Frank, keep us uh, posted on okay. what's going to happen with this um with this grass, please. And Eddie, thank you uh, for joining us on the program this morning. Uh, good morning you. to you. That is uh, Councillor Frank O'Flynn, Councillor Deirdre O'Brien, and Eddie Sheen of Birmingham News Agents in for Moy about the artificial grass. If you've been in for Moy, have you seen it? What you think of it? 1850-333-103. This is Court Today. Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Court's greatest hits. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Reminded to you in this hour on the programme, we're going to be speaking with a consultant in pain management because this is pain management awareness month and it runs right throughout the month of September so if you are suffering or you have somebody in your household suffering from chronic pain and you have a particular question that you would like to put to our expert this morning please feel free to get it into us somebody's asking what time is the doctor for chronic pain coming on it'll be probably about 25 past half past it's in this hour anyway uh, we will be talking to him if you have a question uh, get it into us please now some of your calls coming into the uh, programme firstly um what's going on in Formoy that we spoke about in the last hour and this artificial grass that has been put down by the council and the idea is it's on the main street in Formoy it's taking over six parking spaces that's what's really upsetting the business community the initial idea was that they'd put some benches and tables some picnic tables and chairs on this artificial grass but the fact that it's on the main street in Formoy, lots of people are saying, who in God's name came up with that idea? I mean, having picnic tables, it's wonderful and it's great to have a place where people can stop and have a little bit of a picnic on the odd day that we get some fine weather. But to do it on the main street in Formoy at a time when parking is at a premium and people need those parking spaces, it just kind of defies uh, logic. And I can't find anyone who has contacted us this morning who is in agreement with it. Somebody says, Patricia, that artificial grass, somebody who saw it during the week, it is dreadful and a complete and utter waste of money. Mossy, who lives in Formoy, says, I'm all for going green, but these contraptions are a bit much for even the most environmentally conscious, uh, the environmentally friendly ones of us amongst us. Uh, it's just not making any sense to Mossy in Formoy. And Meg says, it is crackers. Come midwinter and a gale force nine wind who's going to be sitting on the side of the street with their picnic baskets would they ever go away and fix the potholes please says uh, Meg and that's just a sample of some of the calls that we have in we did have somebody who thought it was the, the actual idea behind it Pat was saying the idea 
was a good idea but it's just completely in the wrong place. It's on a main street, on a busy street. Who's going to sit out on a busy street and have a picnic? Uh, suddenly you'll have car fumes. You won't get a parking ticket if you park there but you'll, you'll have to pay green fees says Pat, rather tongue in cheek and then lots of people just asking about the cost uh, and Franco Flynn is trying to find out about the, co- the cost. I mean yes it was the council who put it down so it did it come out of council funds even though it's to do with Project Act and under Project Act there was funding. Project Act is a series of measures by Cork County Council and they have got Project Act teams, you know, in Formoy, in Mallow, in various towns right around the uh, county and it's designed to give confidence to the business, the retail and the community sector through prioritised and targeted funding and town teams have been appointed and, uh, you know, Carrigaline, Passage West, Monkstown, Glenbrook, there's been lots of these and the actual because we did interviews at the start when Project Act set up and it is a terrific idea and it is all about reactivating the communities and the you know the businesses getting reactivated in county towns and it was after lockdown and all of that and the actual idea behind Project Act is certainly a good one but this just is kind of you're kind of scratching your head saying who came up with this one and I think what really got to me when we started getting the calls in about it on Tuesday I was saying well somebody must have signed off on this and we know that there's a, a there's a team there's the Project Act team and we knew that Franco Flynn had been chairing all of the meetings and was saying, you know, surely at one of the meetings it came up and it was discussed. I was going to say argued, but it was discussed and everybody, you know, threw in their tuppence halfpenny worth as to why they felt it was a it was this was a good project to do or why it wasn't suitable on the main street in Formoy. But according to Frank, he chairs the meetings and he said it was never mentioned. Never mentioned. And then we heard from Eddie, one of the business people in Formoy, that they weren't discussed uh, either. And it's the business community are the ones who are really going to be affected if people can't park. And we do need to make our towns as shopping friendly as we can. And the one way you'll make a town shopping friendly is to have enough parking for people parking on street, particularly for those who have limited mobility, for people to pop in and out of shops. So much has been done with people doing business online and it worked really well during lockdown. But but shopping exclusively online is detrimental to the small businesses in our towns and indeed in our cities. And we've been encouraging everybody to stay local and to shop local. And if we're going to do that, then we need to make sure that there's parking space for people so that's why I remember when we got the first calls in on Tuesday I thought somebody had it wrong when the initial call came in I said that couldn't possibly be true that they're going to take over parking spaces to put up picnic tables and uh, chairs another from my listener says Patricia do you know that there isn't even a cafe on that side of the street it's a pure disaster so it isn't even a case that at least one business if there was uh, you know a cafe nearby you'd say well the cafe at least is going to do business out of it people can go in and buy their their latte their cup of tea their breakfast roll their croissant whatever it is and then go sit out on these lovely park benches in the middle of the street on the parking spaces there isn't even a cafe there which is just not making any sense at all anyway listen we'll keep a close eye on it and uh, if we get any more back from I know uh, Franco Flynn is certainly not letting this one go if we get any more back on it we will bring it to you now Michael has contacted the programme And this is to do with the whole issue of if you're unwell and you ring the doctor and about a COVID test and about the charge and the fact that COVID testing is free. Uh, The test is free. And if you ring your doctor and your doctor suspects that it's COVID and they refer you for a COVID test, then that consultation 
either over the phone or in the surgery is also free as well. Michael says his son went to the doctor as he had a very sore throat and he had a headache. So he needed to go to the doctor. So he rang the doctor and obviously as with all of the GP practices all over the country the doctor did the consultation over the phone. Now the doctor speaking to Michael's son about his symptoms said look don't think that you have COVID it's a, you know maybe it's a strep throat or whatever uh, so he says no you don't need to go for a COVID test because this isn't COVID-19 and then he said to the doctor then said to Michael's son that's 40 euro please can you give me your debit card or your your credit card? And when Michael Sonny that didn't have a card for card payment, he said, oh, that's OK. I post out the bill to you instead. Now, the next day, Michael Stone had the very same symptoms and was actually feeling more unwell than he was the previous day. So what did he do? As we're telling everybody to do if you have symptoms, he rang the doctor back. And the doctor said, before I can do the consultation with you, it is going to cost you an extra €20 and I'm not going to do the consultation with you until you have the full €60 paid, the €40 from yesterday and the €20 for today's follow-up consultation. Uh, Michael said his son's sister Michael's daughter paid the money because they really wanted to find out what was going on with him. And in the end, when the doctor did the second consultation with him, he said, OK, I think you need to go for a COVID test. Uh, so he sent him forward for a COVID test. He had to wait for four to five days for the test to come back. Now, I don't know where Michael is calling from, but he was sent to the testing centre in Blackpool. So I'm assuming it was it somewhere in North Cork that Michael's son uh, lives now, it did come back that he didn't have COVID-19, but Michael's issue about what happened to his son was it cost him €60. Euro. He ended up having to pay €60 euro for the two consultations and yet the COVID-19 test uh, is free. I would suggest you get back on to the doctor. Whatever about the original €40 euro where the doctor didn't think it was COVID and then he had to change your mind the next day, you, sh- you certainly are entitled to a refund on the €20 euro fee because the €20, euro, the second consultation, was the one where the doctor said, yeah, you may need to go for a COVID test. So that consultation certainly is free. You'll probably have a bit of an argument on your hand about the first one, but certainly I will be arguing the toss on the second one. And we're hearing various stories about people ringing doctors thinking they've COVID and then they don't have COVID. Some doctors are charging for the consultation. And at the end of the day, in their defence, it is a business. They have to get paid because remember, they'll only get paid from the government if they refer somebody for the COVID-19 test, then that consultation gets paid for by the government. But if they're not referring somebody on, then they have to charge you for the consultation. But it's, it's just worrying that it's turning some people off, that we are hearing from people who are turned off because they think they've covid but then if they ring the doctor and the doctor says, no, they're not the symptoms of COVID and then they're going to have, to have to pay if they don't have a medical card or if they don't have a GP visit card. And that does that worries me. It's one of the reasons why they've got now got this walk-in clinic for the people of Limerick because obviously they've worked out that people in Limerick are not going forward for tests and maybe because they're fearful that they'll get a charge instead of a free uh, test. Are we going to see more walk-in test centres? Somebody's asking around the country. I don't know. The first one and the only one at the moment is the one in Limerick will we see more only time will tell uh, so I'm interested here are lots of or many other people having issues uh, with their doctor I know in previous weeks we've heard from some people who say they don't like this new way of dealing with their doctor i.e. you ring up and it's all done over the phone 
Now people, some doctors are seeing patients but in the main it is being done over the phone. I did hear yesterday of a story that I felt was quite distressing of a little six-year-old little lad who is a chronic asthmatic and we're coming into that time of the year. If you live with anyone with asthma you will know that children with asthma can get very, very unwell. And this little lad ended up with coughing and the wheezing and the mum knew straight away this is his asthma coming on and she actually knew exactly what he needed she she knew by him that he would need steroids so she contacted her GP who when the GP heard he had a cough said oh no no he'll have to go forward for a COVID test and she said no honestly it isn't COVID I know he's back at school this is his asthma I need the prescription for the steroids but the doctor would not hear of it. So the little lad had to go forward for the test. There was then a delay between the initial phone call, the testing the next day. I think they got results back the day after. So it was three days before they found out the mum was right. It wasn't COVID. Then she got back onto the doctor who then issued the prescription. But listening to the story, I wasn't speaking to the mum now herself. I was speaking to a friend of hers uh, who painted a very distressing picture of a little six-year-old lad gasping for air at night trying to sleep and how unwell he became over the three days until she could get the steroids uh, into him and just is now worried, is this what it is going to be like for the rest of the winter? Because she knows on the six years that the, her, her little boy has been with her, she knows what the winter months are like. She knows how many times she would normally be in and out to the doctor during the winter months trying to keep the asthma at bay. But she knows what happens when he gets a bad attack like that. So I, I found that story very worrying, particularly from a GP who should know the, should know the child. Uh, and I know in the conversation that we were having about this particular uh, lady and her child, this, we certainly there was a suggestion she should change uh, GPs. I would not be happy with my GP, particularly a, a GP who knows the child and knows the child's medical history. And I don't know how much more of that is going on or are we going to see more of that in the coming months as we head into the winter. 1850-333-103 and on wet pubs and Dublin. The pubs definitely should not open in Dublin, says this uh, caller. The rest of the country will now suffer because of Dublin. If we had a higher number of COVID-19 cases in Cork or in Waterford or in any other county, I guarantee you the powers that be in Dublin would shut us down. But there are taking their time because it's Dublin. It always seems to be about Dublin. When it's on their own doorstep, they don't want to do anything about it. Well, they, they, the word back from the government is they're giving the, the 1.4 million people who live in Dublin, they're giving them a last chance is what we've heard. They're asking them to restrict their movements. They're asking them to cancel any sort of a social gathering they have for this weekend. And they're giving them another week so it'll be this time next week. But let's watch the figures every day to see will we see any improvement in Dublin on their COVID-19 cases or not. And Jeremiah, Jer- Jeremiah uh, has contacted us. Uh, she found a phone in Roscarbury on the Warren Beach. It was left behind in the ladies' toilets. Oh, you know, somebody went into the loop, put the phone down and went out and went, went away home. And, you know, you'd be scratching your head thinking, where did I lose that phone? Did I lose it on the beach? Did I have it with me in the toilet or not? May have gone back to the toilet. And, of course, the phone was gone thinking, oh, no, maybe I didn't leave it there. Anyway, she's contacted us to say it's in a black case if anybody knows anybody who lost it. So if you were speaking to anybody who was in on the Warren Beach in Ross Garbury and 
talking about losing a phone, uh, we have uh, Jemima's telephone number. She is looking after it for you. 1850-333-103. Jump on and Sadie, you're taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. PE Global, they're based in West Cork. They're currently recruiting general operatives. It's for the Bandon area. Now, it'll be mainly for night shifts, but there will be some morning and afternoon shifts available as well. A cook slash kitchen manager is wanted for Meals on Wheels. That's in Mallow. While a driver with a full B licence is required for a school run in Mallow. And a construction worker is wanted to help trades on a new housing scheme and to clean up around the site. That's in Canturk. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Or today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now this, the month of September, has been designated Pain Awareness Month. And joining me this morning is Dr. Dominic Hegarty, who is a consultant in pain management at the Martyr Private to discuss the various types and symptoms of chronic pain that affect people here in uh, Cork. Good morning to you, Dr. Hegarty. Good morning, Patricia. You, you, chat to you. Well, you're welcome to the programme. I suppose the first question is, how prevalent is chronic pain amongst Irish adults? Well, firstly, I suppose a small definition of when we say chronic pain, we mean something that's persisting, present for over about three months or more. That's the first thing. That's the big difference between acute and a chronic. And once you take that on board, it's been well established for many years now that at least one in five individuals will complain of a pain that is there on a constant basis that's obstructing them on a day-to-day basis or interfering with their activity level. And that's a phenomenal number. If you think of the number of people who are just listening to your programme on a daily basis, one in five of them could complain and could comp- compare themselves to having pain in this element itself. So that's, it's a lot of people. So 20% of people would have this issue and it stops them going to work. It stops them having a better quality of life. It stops their sleeping pattern. And for many people, it just is something they they live with. Um, but it's still very, very difficult. I can, I, just even the thought of living with something like that on a daily basis, as, and as you say, would interfere in their life so much that people may have to give up work. I'm assuming your mental health would suffer if you're living in chronic pain. Absolutely. I think that's the hidden and the silent factor behind it. I suppose, Patricia, many people have the concept of persons with chronic pain as sitting at home, perhaps a little elderly, perhaps immobile, perhaps not doing very much, but it's quite the opposite. Um, very often it's it's a younger individual uh, who is trying to hold down a job, trying to get into the office and trying to get through things or act, act and deliver the kids to school. And they're suffering as much. And yes, they're getting by with it themselves. But the stress factor that that comes on their quality of life, the mental health element is very important indeed. About four or five years ago, I did a study myself around the, with the college. And we were looking at the self-esteem. So the early markers of individuals, how are they dealing with it? And 60, 70 percent of individuals were affected, even though they, they weren't fitting into the psychology of it. They were en route to it. And it was simply because they had this pain embedded into their daily activity every single day. And of course, there was frustration involved because they weren't able to treat it or they didn't want to be on medication. And as you said, they were being taken away from their family life, from their business life, etc. So that's a huge uh, issue behind it itself. And then there's a thing called persistent post-surgical pain. And I'm assuming somebody goes forward for surgery because they were in pain. And then they have the surgery thinking, I'm going to be fine after this. And then they end up with this post-surgical pain. 
Absolutely indeed, and it's very disheartening. You know, surgeons go to solve a problem, and, and for example, an individual may have had a life-threatening condition. They may have had cancer surgery, for example. They may have had breast surgery, you know, surgery to their lower limb, for example, and they come home with more pain than they go in. That's very frustrating, but it's a fact of life. And depending on the type of surgery you have, you, you see quite a number of, of ranges of this. For example, someone who might have had an inguinal hernia repair, a chap who's been playing football, his hernia and his groin has been an issue for him, 15-20% of those individuals will end up with a degree of pain that would be classified as chronic and stops them on a day-to-day basis. Knee surgery, knee replacement, 20-30%. Uh, and an area that I do a lot of work in is lumbar discectomy, etc. 30% of those individuals continue to have pain, even though, surgically speaking, the surgery has done very well, everything seems to be in order, but they're left with this element itself. So when you take into account that nearly 400,000 surgical operations go on in Ireland every single year, that's a lot of people if one in five or perhaps 20% of those individuals uh, end up with a pain that stops them. And that's very important. It erodes, as you said already, the mental well-being, their daily living activities. So it's, it's important. It is such an important factor for people to be aware of. And that's why it's, it's great to bring that phrase out today, awareness, because people shouldn't be like this. And sometimes it's because they're left behind. They forget that they can be without pain. Um, and sometimes it's, it's the individual is so happy to have their operation done yeah. that they'll say, you know, a little bit of a pain here and there, I'll get over it. Um, they've had the relief of maybe having their, their, their cancer surgery or their knee replacement they've been waiting for many, many years. Some, in some situations, as you know yourself, this can be very disheartening to them. And they put up with it and people are very brave to put up with it. But there are options and I think that's the other, other part and of the awareness. And that's the message that we're, try- we're trying to get out. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.
to people today. You know, there are, are, are solutions. So talk to us about what, what treatment is available. Well, the first treatment is, is the awareness to speak with your GP. And that could be very simply looking at oral medication, proper activities, proper physical rehabilitation. And that can gain an awful lot. But many of the patients who would attend to my, my clinic, if you like, in, in, in my scenario, they've gone past that and they usually end up with some form of an intervention. Now, what does an intervention mean? That's essentially an injection, looking at the nerves that are going to a knee, a joint, a back, etc. that can be anaesthetized, can be uh, treated and can be made sure that it can actually stay away going forward. And something very simple can solve a lot of problems for individuals. So I'd have a, a gamut, if you like, of injections and specific injections that would help individuals get back on their feet, reduce their oral medication. And it's, it's, it's fantastic when people come in and you can offer them this um, option to get right. For example, um, hip pain, very common issue itself. We've just published last week myself some work on individuals with chronic hip pain treating certain elements, gluteal tendinopathy, it's what it's called, pain around the side of the hip with some new techniques, you know, 60-70% reduction in the pain within a number of weeks. It makes a big difference. This makes a difference for people who can go back walking, driving the car, even maybe getting back, doing a little bit of life golf or just going to see the game. Whenever we get back to see our GA matches, we'll be able to go to the sideline and see these things again. So the simple things can work. It's important that individuals realise that there are options there for them. And is that the aim, to reduce oral medications? It's one of the aims. Um because you, you, you're, it's, it's something people don't like taking. The common word people will come into me, their objectives will be say, I don't want to get hooked on medication. I've heard so many bad stories around medication and, and they just want to stay away from it. And, and quite rightly so. Medications are, in my mind, tools and they have limits. Great if they help, but if they're not helping, why should you be taking them? And the intervention option really is focused. It helps people make the difference between being on tablets on a regular basis to something that you can actually move around with relatively freely with. And that's, that's, that's a big bonus. Um, and in this day and age when there are so many problems with, with costs of medications uh, in the health service, uh, so many individuals struggle to get by on their tab- tablets, that you just have to look at the options that are there for them. Okay, some questions in. A listener says, I have lived with chronic pain for 30 years. In the morning, I can't get out of bed. I'm so stiff. Every bit from my fingers to my toes, my neck and back, uh, particularly stiff with pain. Nobody can see pain and stiffness because I walk and look all right, but I have to live with this uh, chronic uh, pain. I've tried lots of different treatments uh, over the years, but it's particularly the shoulders and neck that end up so stiff and with pain. Neck pain is quite common, isn't it, it is very common. I mean, again, I would see probably thirty percent, thirty-five percent of the individuals who come to, uh, to to my to, to to see me would be presenting with neck or upper uh, limb pain, or was pain going down the hand. Very often, then when you when you speak to them and you listen to the pattern of the pain, there's a headache involved. It comes from the back of the head itself, and it can all be generated around from the cervical spine. That's the the bony area behind the the neck area. And it can be something from a little bit of overuse. You see, even now at present, um, Patricia, people attending in and they're saying, I've, I've, I'm getting headaches and neck pain that I didn't get before. They're working from home. People are working from home, perhaps in an environment that isn't ideal, and um, maybe spending longer in front of the computers, 
simple things can trigger off that kind of pattern that 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 caller has just identified for you. Muscular skeletal pain, myofascial pain that's driving to the area itself. And again, with some very simple workup, perhaps an MRI to make sure that there's no, what we call red flags, no pathology that needs to be rectified. Then some simple injections around the neck area, all under x-ray, can be very fruitful, can really change things around for individuals and simple things like driving the car becomes feasible again. Um, reading the newspaper, holding the, the paper up can be a big bonus. So there's very simple things that can be looked at, but it's all about listening to how people come in uh, with their story, making sense of it, um, and then then approaching it in a very sensible fashion. I'm trying to give people back some kind of quality of life. Uh, a listener says, um, uh, Hi, uh, C103, I've awful back pain, also a frozen shoulder. I've had it for years. I did get injections. I've also tried physio. I've ended up now, I can't lift my shoulder only halfway up. Is there help available for me? Certainly straight off and that. There would be, I mean... What that needs is to be investigated a little bit more first to be sure that it is a frozen shoulder. And if it is, there's what we call injections or intraarticular injections can be to inject to the joint. If that individual may have had three or four years ago, uh, we've come forward in terms of what we can inject. So it may be well worth re-looking at that as a possibility. And of course, it may be the situation depending on individuals, um, maybe age group and, and what they want from it. Uh, surgery may be an option, but we need to make those decisions. Uh, pain management can help avoid that and can and help lead people to make those decisions and give them the reassurance the right way to go. So something like frozen shoulder is very disabling for an individual, particularly if it's on their dominant hand or their, their more stronger hand for writing, driving the car. Even going for a walk can be quite painful. And of course, that sets the whole thing off in, a, in an awful way. Sleeping at night is, is an issue with these shoulder pains as well, you know. When you talk about the injections, Dominic, how long do they last? How long do you get benefit from an injection? The, um, it, it, again, it depends what you inject a little bit. Um, so if you're looking at steroid injections, you would be expecting uh, things to improve over a period of two to four weeks with the anticipation that you could get several weeks of recovery from it. The principle of using steroid is to help the body recuperate quickly. So you're hoping by giving it a kickstart, if you like, that the body picks up the initiative. But that's not the way it always works for individuals. And for example, someone who attends me who's failing in that respect, I then use temperature to denervate or to switch off the nerve fibres, let's say going to the shoulder area, to, to say, look, we, we know this pain comes from the shoulder. We know it's not uh, an issue that we can do surgery with. Well, can we stop the signal and give it more permanent? That could be six, that could be nine months or even longer of reasonable pain relief. Now, reasonable is 50% reduction, but that's a big impact on someone on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. So it depends how you approach it. And, and technology is helping us, Patricia, an awful lot as well. We're now having, you know, being able to implant electronic devices that can give us 24-7, seven days a week control. So for certain individuals, there's a huge array of options. And that's where, that's where we fall down in the pain world, if you like. We, we don't get the story out enough to say, look, there are choices. We can work through this sequence. And what works for one individual may not be appropriate for the next. But it's creative thinking sometimes. It's about looking at what the options are and, and working through what the person is looking for back in their life. Some people want to be able to walk the dog. Other people do need to get back and drive the truck and drive the van to just sort of get their, their business back in action. You know? yeah. Well done, well done. And Jill uh, suffers with lower back pain 
and I can see a number of people uh, saying uh, anything for lower back pain. Jill says she thinks it might be a slip disc but that's her diagnosing herself. She says how do you find out what exactly it is and what can be done for lower back pain? Everyone straight away assumes it's a slip disc isn't it? It's the sort of the answer to everything. Unfortunately it's the answer for everything absolutely and, and I suppose the biggest mistake is either self-diagnosing or Dr Google isn't it? We all jump yeah. on board and we get these ideas. Uh, what, what that individual needs to do is, is basically have a very good discussion with either their, primarily their GP or a physician who's, who's in the area, either a spinal surgeon or a pain physician like myself. You can make some very big assumptions and you could be completely off the mark. That lady could have the set joints, which are the joints around the disc that are now having to work harder. So a disc in itself, if it's been there for a while, isn't usually very painful. That's usually in the early phase. That's the, that's the first couple of days and weeks. But after that, it's the tissue around it. And that's very much an area that you can work on. Something very simple like a day case injection to the region, the facet joints, or maybe just the muscle groups can really get you back on your on your feet, can allow you to get back maybe to do some light pilates, the physio work, back swimming. And by com- combining strategies, you can really help an individual. So I- I'm exactly like you said, that the, the self-diagnosing yeah. should really be put to the side. Ask someone who knows what, what can be done. Um, and that can be very useful. And it's amazing. People come in to me and they say they don't know where their pain is. And I'll examine their back and they, we, we both go ouch. And we find out that it's something that they thought was never sore in the first place. And that was the source of their problem. So it's important to speak to the right people. Okay, Margaret has contacted us. She said, I have, is it lymphedema in one leg after a cancer operation? Is there anything that can be done for that? Um, two, two elements may not be completely my my area of expertise, of the, the flowing and the holding up of the blood itself. Um, this would be a situation where probably medical medication might give her a sense of relief. Um, sometimes, without overstretching my expertise, taking the swelling down can control the, the nerve fibres and the small fibres in the limb, so keeping the swelling low. I'd advise perhaps speaking with her physiotherapist to see if any uh, physical uh, wrapping techniques might be useful in that aspect to itself. Sometimes even a little bit of acupuncture can facilitate the backflow a little bit and just takes the edge off it. And, and very often that's what patients are and, and individuals are looking for, Patricia. It's, it's not 100%. They'll, they'll take 30% improvement to get going. And that can make a big difference on a day-to-day for the individual. So targets have to be set. And I would always set that for my, my patients saying, look, what is a realistic goal here for the moment? Try and do your best. And, and as you said at the start, sometimes you have to put a timeline on and say, we'll aim for the next three to six months. What do we do? and move on from there. So it's it's, build, it's a building process, it's a confidence building process as well. And once people start getting going, they, they're fantastic. They really can make the effort, but they do need the, 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 the kickstart sometimes. And they have to be proactive as well in finding individuals who will help them. OK, now I'm always afraid when somebody sends in a text with predictive text, if it's the right word or not. Somebody says, I take, is it a humorous injection? Does that ring a bell with you? The person takes this. It's obviously some kind of a pain relief. Every two weeks, I'll get three days relief for that I'm crippled until I get the next injection. I, I imagine, again, it sounds like a rheumatology-based uh, product itself as an anti-feron or an anti-inflammatory, so I suspect it's rheumatology. Um, rheumatology and that level of, of pain when you're looking at broad elements one has to sit with the individual and say, look, this is what the expectations are. Um, who, what I would say briefly there, whoever is prescribing and managing that may be very, very well worthwhile sitting with them, 
and explain to them what they're getting from it and see can the regime be looked at in some shape or form. That's very much a kind of a one-on-one basis. So I'd suggest that individual chat to the physician or the or, or your or your doctor who is working with you on that, outline what's happening and maybe some tweaking can be done to, to get a little bit better from that aspect to itself. Or maybe there's a different option. Okay, here's another question. I'm a 35-year-old. I had an operation on my shoulder 10 years ago when my ball and socket bone was shaved down and my bicep muscles burnt. Usually my shoulder is fine, but from September to March, with the cold weather, my shoulders, uh, shoulder is so painful, my hands even turn purple. Is there anything that can be done to stop this? I, I would say straight up that that's the, exactly the kind of person who, who does need to talk to a pain physician in that respect. Um, young person, 35, look, that's that's not, not on. Sounds to me like the nerve tissue just behind the shoulder area itself are under a lot of pressure. That's the brachial plexus. And when you get those cold changes happening in the hand, it tells me that the, the fine-tuning, the, the terminal switches uh, that give us that sensation are a misfiring. Some very simple injections too around those nerve fibres uh, might give that person a bit of relief and give the sense of control over the, the winter period itself. Um, and again, here's a situation where technology might be coming in because as you see there, it's there, it's 24-7. That person might respond very well as, as a young individual to see what would neuromodulation or what we call controlling the fibres with electronics that they can literally turn on and turn off and control it on a day-to-day basis. So a very technical answer to, to, a, to a difficult yeah, question. But, but there's help available. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking, yeah. I mean, reading that man's text, you know, it, this, uh, this operation happened 10 years ago and obviously he's been suffering on through all of those winter months thinking well I've had my operation I just have to put up with this and he really doesn't and he and he really shouldn't and he shouldn't do that and I agree and I would be saying proactively have a chat with with your with his GP and get to see someone who you know has this kind of a conversation who can facilitate uh, then have that discussion and really do see what the options are and sometimes Patricia it is a process from my point of view of actively doing something doing an injection following the response and then that can guide us what the next correct option would be. And very often, as I say to my patients when they come and see me, I say, it opens up doors. The minute I can sense that we're on the right footpath, then we can we can really hunt that down along the way. And okay. that is a struggling bit for these people is to try and get on the right road from day off. And that's very, very important. So, you know, modern pain medicine has come on an awful lot in the last 10, 15 years, uh, thankfully. And I'm, I'm always, you know, very positive and proactive about it. And I, I really like trying to help as much as we can improving people's quality of life is so it's it's so important and the sooner the better these people can help out so I'll be very positive towards that that person okay and how how does one end up at at your door the door of a, of, of a consultant in pain management is it a referral via via GP it's that's the the most direct route is via GP if they're working with another consultant that can be another way of helping them Sometimes if they're working with physiotherapists, it's another way of, of discussing with them what the options would be and to see what it would be. But the very uh, 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 simple thing sometimes is, is, to, is to link up with a consultant, say what the problem is, and then the consultant would say, look, I think that's something we can help with. Please get me a referral. But the GP is the easy route to go through. Okay. And, uh, and it is, it's important to raise it and go to the GP and say, look, I, I'm, I'm not happy with this pain that's been going on too long at the moment. Can we get it looked into? And GPs will be delighted. And GPs are very busy clinics at the moment. You know it. Yeah. Uh, with all this COVID, there's such a backlog. We're suffering. People are sitting back there. And it's been very good because people are saying, oh, it's just my shoulder. It's my back. I've had it forever. I would say that's 
not a reason. COVID is not a reason why we should be sitting back now. More than ever, we should be pro- proactive to try and get people right and get them into the workplace. Do you know of any, have patients ended up with pain as a result of contracting COVID-19? Really interesting question. And we're right in the middle of that. I'm just actually reviewing an editorial that's going to be printed in about, hopefully towards the end of the month, in the British Journal of Anesthesia, examining what the options are for rehabilitation. The work from Wuhan, where it started, and from my colleagues in Italy, and we've had a conference only recently, it is a problem. Most of the energy that we're spending at the moment is around the people who are in the intensive care setting, so the, the sicker of the sicker. However, there's the big proportion of people who were either admitted to hospital and went home or maybe suffered at home and they've got massive amount of aches and pains, joint pains, myalgia, um, headaches and just tiredness and fatigue. Um, all of these are going to be a real challenge coming down the road and we need to we need to think about it. I think we'd be able to offer things from a pain world because we're used to collaborating across different disciplines such as, as physios, occupational therapists, gym work. Um, but we need to think about it. I think this is something that's going to come. And again, it perhaps is going to be in individuals who are otherwise fit and healthy and, and able to do things. And the frustration of not being able to do that is going to be something we're going to have to cope with as well. So um, more than ever, the awareness of what's, what's going on is very, very important. Okay. So I genuinely hope we don't, but I do suspect there's going to be an issue. And as you've outlined, chronic pain can just be so debilitating. So your message today, Dominic, is don't suffer in silence. Help is available. Help is available. Make the inquiries, be, become proactive and I, I would say the sooner the better. Um, why hang on to something that maybe somebody can really help you with and, and chat. There's no harm chatting. Um, and you're going to be helping yourself, but you're going to help people around you, your family as well. These are the other people who suffer in silence watching people who are in agony they're frustrated as much as the individual with the pain so the impact when you take the pain away from someone around a family a cohort is so important and we all have loved ones who we hate seeing them sitting down and not being able to do things they were able to do before so the impact all around and i'd say to people who are watching people in pain help them encourage them make sure that they do get speaking to the right people who can help them as well so you know, it's, it's an open door policy in the pain world always and uh, chase people down and any time we can help, that's, that's the important thing really. Okay, well done, well done. And listen, thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us uh, today on the programme, really appreciate well, it. And thank you very much for bringing it up on your on your show. It's very important that your audience gets to know what can be done. Thank you for that. Thank you. Enjoyed our chat. Good morning to you. That Good is uh, Dr. Dominic Hegarty, who is a consultant in pain management at the Marsha Private in Cork. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And I'm also very conscious for the day that's in it for the many Leaving Cert students in the class of 2020. Today is a very anxious one with the release of the first round offers for the CAO this afternoon at 2pm. With calming words of advice, I'm joined by our career guidance expert, uh, Roisin Kelleher. Uh, good afternoon to you, Roisin. Good afternoon, Patricia. And, and, you, and you're, you're very welcome. And that is the message, isn't it? To try to stay calm and don't panic, particularly if you don't get your first choice. Absolutely. And as you have referred earlier, it has been a very anxious and upsetting day in the past. But let's hope it will be a good day for most students that are awaiting their CAO offers. Undoubtedly, there will be some that will be disappointed. But that is not unusual, Patricia. That happens every year. But the big thing is to remember that they have help, that there are so many options And as you have said earlier, it is so important to remain calm. 
when they get their offer, which I hope they will at two o'clock this afternoon, just remain calm. Be very glad of that offer. Look to see what's involved in it. Do the research. Of course, some students can accept straight away. And that is great if that is exactly what they want. But they're they're under no compulsion to accept straight away. They have until next Wednesday to decide what they're going to do. And for, for many students, they might consider deferring. We're in a very different situation this year with the virus and, um, you know, the way the courses may be delivered on the various campuses and the universities and colleges. And most of that data now is being carried on the college websites. So when they get their offer, there is a lot of research that the students need to do in my opinion, before they accept. And we say, we give actually that advice every year. I think this year more than ever it's important. That advice about, uh, you know, if, 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 if you get an offer that you need to research the programme to make sure that it is, you know exactly what you're signing up for. Absolutely. And remember for very many students, it could be two offers. It could be the offer on the level eight, the honours degree programme, and also on the level seven and six, which level seven would be the ordinary degree. Level six is a certificate. Very powerful offers. They need to be looked at and respected in a very calm way. There are helplines there to help people if they need to consult with the guidance counsellors or whatever they can have informed information of the colleges themselves. So students then have to decide whether they will take the level eight or the level seven six. Now, the offer that they may get today, of course, Patricia, may not be their first round. It may not be their first, it's the first round, but it may not be their first preference. So it could be a preference that they have inserted lower down on their course choices. But of course, naturally, they should really have nothing on those course choices, only courses that potentially they, they want. But the nature of things sometimes are, unfortunately, students may sometimes put down courses that they haven't researched or they know little about. Now, I certainly wouldn't advise a person to accept such a course unless they want to research it. So they have to be very careful about that. And, of course, on Monday next, there will also appear on the CAO website available or vacant places. And even at this stage, vacant places are available on the CAO website. So the CAO website itself, all the w.cao.ie, is a wonderful website that they need to consult with. And all the details about accepting and all the procedure associated with the offer, that's all clearly outlined on the CAO website. Yeah, this is where we're back to do your research to know exactly what you're signing up for. We know that grades were on average 4.4% higher this year than last year. So therefore it is impossible to predict what what way the points would be. But the Minister for Higher Education, Simon Harris, uh, wrote uh, announced a little over additional, I think 2,000 extra places. That will help, will it? Of course it will. And even this morning, the chairman of the CAO refused to speculate on you know, what way the points will go. But it would appear, it would indicate that the points certainly will improve or will go up, rise, because of the calculated grades. And that's one of the reasons why the extra places have been put in place. 
And those extra places, apparently, I don't know exactly where they have been, will go in, but it would appear that they're going in in the areas where there's greatest interest. That's good. Which That's good. seems to be in medical, health, and education, science, and in business. Okay, and we, I was reading in the paper, you know, throughout the week since the results came out of some students who really were not happy uh, with yes. their calculated uh, grades. Yes. They still, do they still have the option to actually sit an exam if they want to do it? They do. Well, the first option would be if they wish to appeal the results. Having said that, the appeal is different to other years in the sense that the appeal will not involve a re-examination of their grades. papers the way it normally yeah. is, yeah. That won't be applied. But they can, of course, appeal to ensure that whatever mark was given in the school has been correctly, you know, sent to the Department of Education. Of course, they can do that. So that would be the first issue. The second issue then would be to consider what they're going to do. And for some, they may consider repeating the subject, a subject or subjects in November. Now, again, the final details haven't been outlined yet, but we understand it's going to be on the 16th of November and that that leaving search will be completed on weekends or in the evenings. When those results will come out, we haven't been told that yet, but clearly it wouldn't be in time for this year's entry at this autumn for students who wish to apply this year. So they'll be waiting until next year. For some students, of course, they may also consider repeating the leaving search, like they would always do in, in other years. Yeah, there's always been that option. And uh, and you mentioned earlier about you know subject. Sorry? So you mentioned earlier about some students they may opt to defer because you know people don't know what this academic year is going to look like. Look like, but Roisin, is there a danger that if too many applicants go down that option, mm-hmm. that colleges will be refusing to defer place placements? That, that is possible. Okay. That is possible. It is always at the discretion of the colleges whether they will allow a deferred place. So this is something when the student gets the offer that they should contact as soon as possible the college in the course that they have been offered to discuss that with the college authorities. Okay, all right. And as you say, help is available. The National Parents Council, the helpline, which is staffed by your own members in the guidance council, that's still available, isn't it? Okay, it's available from noon today. It will be available tomorrow, Saturday, and available Monday, uh, right through to Wednesday, when, of course, they will have to make their return with regard to the first round offer. Now, of course, what's very important also is that there will be other rounds. So the next very important date after what's happening, obviously, this afternoon, will be, for the, from the CAO's point of view, will be round two, which will be offered on the 23rd of September. Now, the only thing with the offers this year, there's a very short turnaround. So students do really need to be able to attend to the alerts and the offers that they will get from the CAO. But in doing so, I would again ask them not to rush into anything. Research, ask advice, check to see if this is the correct thing to do. And also to consider the other options. I know I've mentioned this on Monday as well. But the post-leaving third courses, the apprenticeships and all those other options that can help to progress into the career that they want, maybe progress into higher education if they wish, but not necessarily. They may go a different path. And these are wonderful 
uh, opportunities to pursue their careers. Okay. All right. Okay. And it's two o'clock today and they log on. Is that how they'll they log get their... Yeah, okay. They follow the details on that. All right. Of course, if, once at two o'clock today, then all the points will be displayed for anyone who has an interest in looking at the CEO points. But the CEO, there's more to life than the CEO points. Absolutely. We say it every year. We say it every year. And this year, it is more important than ever. As always, you've been a a mind of information. We'll speak again, Roisin. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. Uh, good afternoon as it is at this stage. That is Roisin Keller, our career guidance uh, expert. And once again, just the best of luck to everybody uh, waiting on an offer today. We really do hope that you get your uh, first choice. Now, some of your texts coming in on 9-11. Mary in Balancolic says, I can remember watching the news with my eldest son, Gerard. He had just flown home from New York the previous day. He was on his holidays there. Goodness me, uh, Mary, I could imagine what was going through your mind on the, on this day 19 uh, years ago. And uh, hi, this is Mary Mitchell's Mitchell's In My memories of 9-11. I was living in Boston at the time of 9-11. I'd just been married. I was training as a nurse in college and working with a private patient at his home. Oh my God, what a fright we got. Most frightening experience ever. My husband rang me saying America was under attack. Phone lines were jammed. My family in Mitchellstown trying desperately to ring me and couldn't get through. The scary thing about it all was that we found out afterwards two of the terrorists had stayed in a hotel literally behind our apartment block. It was in the district of Brighton, Boston in Massachusetts. 9-11 says Mary Mitchellstown. We will never forget. May all those who perished rest in peace. Thank you uh, for that. And that's just a sample of some of the people contacting us with their memories of this day uh, 19 years ago. And on a happier note, this is actually an American gentleman whose birthday is today. I got a text in to say that Jack Kelleher is a retired American judge and he runs a voluntary bicycle clinic in Clannacilty. He knows lots about bikes of all sorts. It's his birthday today and I've been asked to say happy birthday to Jack from all of his many, many friends. I am intrigued about Jack Kelleher running a voluntary bicycle clinic. I don't know if I've ever heard of a voluntary bicycle clinic before but no doubt the good people at Clannacilty know all about it. So if you're going in with your bicycle to the voluntary bicycle clinic today are you happen to pass Jack Kelleher when you're out and about wish him a very, very happy birthday and many more of them to Come, Jack. 1850 333 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. The Irish Cancer Society are looking for volunteer drivers. It's to help transport cancer patients to and from their hospital chemotherapy treatments. Volunteers are needed in Cork to help keep this vital service uh, running. Rock Chapel Penny Dinners Collection is being held in the community centre in Rock Chapel. It's happening this Sunday between 10am and 1pm. Items that they will accept include cash, perishable goods and home baking and you're please asked to support. And Donna Rail Push for Charity will launch The Heart Remembers during their Culture Evening which is Friday this night week, Friday the 18th of September at 6pm in the Church of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Donnerwell. The Heart Remembers is an initiative to remember all those who have died from COVID-19. 
Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. There was shock in West Cork over recent days following the announcement that the Cara Lodge Matt Talbot's centre in Ahiol was to close. Cork Southwest Independent Doll Deputy Michael Collins has raised uh, the issue and uh, he joins me. Good, good afternoon to you, Michael. Good afternoon. Um, you're, you're welcome. Firstly, can you outline the services that is available at Cara Lodge? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, based there in a beautiful uh, place in Ahiol, just, you know, east of Clankilty, west of Bendon. Uh, it was a free residential uh, program centre for males with the age 14 to 18 years of age who had substance uh, misuse issues and, you know, capacity is far between six and eight um, and, and, and for some reason the numbers had been falling in recent times which is a bit, you know, mysterious and this questions have been raised as to why that's happened because it certainly isn't the case that people, young people between 14 and 18 um, say, you, have the unfortunate situation to be in a substance misuse case are, are we'll say, have lessened in that much time, especially during COVID there's more of an increased need for services like that but unfortunately, uh, the, the centre in Ahiol has been um, earmarked for closure. The HSE, um, and I met him uh, this morning in Cork, have told me that, yes, they did pull the funding for it um, because they're looking at a new level of care. Um, there's 19 uh, people working there, 19, you know, diligent workers that have given maybe anything up to 20 years working uh, in Ahiol in, in, in this centre, and they're extremely upset. And I think they're extremely upset at the way the news broke uh, the other day. I think at one minute they were going for training, the next minute they were told to uh, step aside and they had some news from them and they told them their jobs are gone. And that's the position they're and in. And okay, is, is it, it's funded by the HSC, is it run by the HSC? It's run uh, by, it's not run by the HSC, but it's funded by the HSC. Funded uh, by the HSC. There's, 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 there's a number of directors there, uh, a different um, group are, are running it and it's the Matt Talbot uh, residential treatment centre is being called. It was um, uh, grounds that a, a lady in, in, in Ahiol gave to a Christian brother, Brother Rock, uh, a number of years ago. And I suppose that, that comes into question now, too. You know, if that was given uh, for the for the genuine good of, of, of helping people, um, is, 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 it, is it going to be, what's going to happen that centre now? And what I wanted to know from the HCD, and I do want them to, to, to ask what kind of a delivery, what kind of a new level of care uh, are they proposing? Why aren't they proposing to carry out that level of care in, in, in Ahiol, uh, as was there already, Patricia? It's, it's fierce upsetting, and it is fierce upsetting to the people who have used the centre, because some people have come back and, have, you know, since they've heard us the last couple of days, and said, that, that centre saved my life, and put me on, uh, you know, a new frame of mind and a new... And, and, and basically could have given them a better future going forward. And I mean, and, I, I'm, I'm open to correction, but am I right in saying that we don't have many residential centres for young people for the misuse of drugs here in Cork? Uh, to the best of my knowledge, we don't. I think there's another centre in Cork City. And my belief, and I, I, I stand to be corrected uh, today, in my uh, in, in trying to find out more information, is that they are moved the services to the centre in Cork. Um, that's leaving a uh, huge... Uh, gaping, I suppose, um, hold there in West Cork where this type of service is needed, the same as same as, uh, as is needed in Cork City. Was it mainly was, young people from West Cork who availed of the services or did they I come from all over? It could be from all over. Uh, it could be from all over, okay. 18 and 18 years of age and, uh, and I mean, uh, you know, 
bodies and I think they're being treated very shoddily. There's great unhappiness there. 19 people, a loss of 19 jobs is like, uh, you know, maybe, like I just said in the doll last night, it's similar to 150 job losses. In a city area, absolutely, absolutely. And the HSE, when you spoke to them, what outline what they said for the reasoning behind this blanket closure of Carra Lodge. They said that there was a fall in use uh, for the centre, number one. Number two, they said they, they're looking at a new level of care. Um, I, I, my, and I'm, and in fairness, this meeting I had with the HSC this morning was on other issues, new Bentry Hospital and and other issues that I had to, uh, you know, uh, discuss with them. Uh, but this came up very much at the forefront as to how the employees are going to be treated. Why was the why are you looking at a new level of care? Can that level of care be delivered in any old in that centre? And what uh, did they say to that? At the present time, it looks to me as if they don't want to continue that service in any old in, in, in West Park. And people that have worked there 20 years look like they're going to lose their positions. And I, I, I'm, uh, you know, fighting very strongly for, for, for the service to be maintained in West Park, but also for the employees who work very hard there and have, you know, put people's lives back together and are very, very hurt at the announcement of the week. This is a very rural community and every job is, is vital in that rural community. Particularly, particularly during a pandemic. And I mean, the obvious one is if if the HSE, for whatever reason, wasn't happy with the level of care at Carroll Lodge and they want to introduce a new level of care, then you go into Carroll Lodge, you work with the 19 workers and you say, let's do it a different way. That's exactly what I said to me and it's, it's something that I will be progressing with them in the days ahead. As I said, this is a very recent announcement. It's a, it's a, it's a big, big blow for the whole Tranquility, Balanskapti area, people that were employed there. And, you know, they do need answers. And there was a report um, they, 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 they have been told, but they haven't seen the report that has been given by the HSC, and that's something I demand that they, we have a right to see this report that the HSC drew up in relation to this to Carroll Lodge and, in, in, and the residential centre in, in Ayol. Um, who drew it up? What was the outcome of the report? I think that all um, might answer quite a lot of questions. But to me, to think that the use of the centre was being clo- uh, slowly and slowly. Um, uh, evaporated as such, like you know, bringing it down to from eight, seven, six, five, four. They must have been an agenda. There has to be because it's the service is needed. The service is needed in in in, in to right throughout the country. It's not just have to be an AO, but it's service that was there is definitely needed. And now the service has been taken from the people. And I I think there's been a gradual withdrawal and a gradual withdrawal. And maybe me as a politician, others had their eye off the ball because I certainly wasn't made aware of it until I heard of the closure and the shadowy way that the employees have been treated, people who had given their, you know, 20 years, up to 20 years of service and they need to be respected better. And that's another issue that we need to look into too, you know, if, if it's going the road of redundancy, uh, how are these employees going to be treated, uh, Patricia, but for now... And do do I take it that these young people, these 14 to 18-year-old boys, would they were they referred by GPs to the residential? They would be referred yeah. by, by GPs and, and it's obvious that's why the HSE has but had their involvement in the, in the centre. You know, Do we know how much it was costing to run the centre per year? Uh, I don't know. You see, this is what I'm trying to see. It's the report. Um, and, you know, it was free. To these, this residential programme, you know, was free to the 14 and 18-year-olds who had attended. But, you know, penny-wise, the pound food sometimes, it might be saving a few bob in one way. But, you know, to have young people uh, today that don't have that facility, 
going forward is a big blow. Shocking. Um, it's shocking. It's a big blow. And I would try and see, can we get to the bottom of it? I okay. Can we actually look at the centre to be reopened again? Okay. Uh, even if it has to be a new, under a new level of care. Keep on top of it and uh, keep us posted. Thanks for that, Michael. Thanks. Uh, bye bye. That is Cork South West Independent Joel Deputy Michael Collins on the news. As I say, that shocked has certainly shocked people in the West Cork area. The announcement that Cara Lodge uh, in Ahiol is to close, and I'm, I'm assuming it is with immediate uh, effect. It really is shocking. Okay, just quickly before we go to Mark and the movies, just to wrap up on some of your texts coming into the programme. Tim in Mallow. I think Tim in Mallow is raising a really good point. This is on the COVID 19 tests and we're told that the COVID-19 test is free and you contact your doctor and if your doctor thinks yet yeah, you have the symptoms of COVID-19 they send you forward for a test but please do not not go forward because you're afraid that you're going to be charged because it is free and they've deliberately done that the powers that be and the Department of Health and the government and effort to make sure that cost is not a reason why people wouldn't come forward for a test and now we're discovering that if you go forward you think you've got the symptoms you contact your doctor some of the GP practices when they go through over the phone with your consultation and they think no you don't need to go forward for a test yes there's something wrong with you but it isn't COVID-19 and then you get charged and some people are upset by that and particularly people who are contacting doctors who don't have the money to pay and we are afraid that it might deter some people going forward. Tim says surely free COVID consultation means a free discussion with a GP if you fear you have symptoms of COVID whether or not you're sent forward for a test. The government want people to be vigilant and they want people to report any potential cases. I haven't seen it stated anywhere where free consultation stroke slash if you are sent for a test is what the criteria should be and I won 100% 100% I 100% agree with you on, on that Tim and thank you to lots of other people who are still calling for Dublin to be locked down and Niall in Lombardstown says Patricia no need for Micheál Martin and co to worry about pub crawls for they have driven most pubs to the ground a lot of them won't be able to uh, reopen and only time will tell how many of the pubs will actually reopen Monday week but I think you're, I think you're right I think we will unfortunately see not the full cohort of pubs reopen on the 21st. Uh, What I've just been talking with Michael Collins about the closure of Carroll Lodge, it's scandalous. It's actually more and more services for young people that we need and yet all we are seeing is uh, more and more of them closing down. It is simply not fair. And my apologies to people who contacted about chronic pain when I had uh, Dr Dominic Hegarty on. didn't obviously couldn't get to all of your questions but I want to suggest to people if you were the message that Dominic was trying to get across today in the the fact that this is Pain Awareness Month is don't suffer in silence go back to your GP go back to your consultant tell them about the pain you are living with an example here of a text that we didn't get to Hi Patricia I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia Uh, I've had it for four years. I had a hip replacement and the fibromyalgia went away. Now the other hip is giving trouble the very same way and I'm back with the same problem with heat at the back of both legs. I can only sit for 15 minutes at a time. I'm wondering, is it fibromyalgia or is it inflammation? I can't actually sleep at night with the pain. It is horrendous and I'm afraid it's starting all over again. Oh my God, my heart goes out to you. I know whenever we've covered anything to do with fibromyalgia, it seems to be 
the pain of it seems to be excruciating. I would absolutely say you need to go back to your doctor, you need to go back to your uh, consultant and keep telling them about the pain you are in and get a referral to somebody like Dominic, a consultant uh, in pain management and we wish you well with it. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Or today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862-103-103. And Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joining me in studio. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And it's good to have you in studio. Okay, you have watched two movies for us. One is Mulan and the other is Guest House. I've got a trailer, I'm told, from Mulan. The enemy is vast. They are ruthless and unpredictable. Yet, physical force need not be met with equal force. The enemy can be defeated. It will take everything you have. Remember this when you meet him on the battlefield. I will never give up. I left home to take my father's place. If her identity is discovered, she will be in great danger. There is no courage without fear. I will bring honor to us all. I'm Juan Mulan. Okay, this is a, a young Chinese maiden disguises herself as a male warrior in order to save her father. So is, yeah. there, is there a lot of violence in this? It's a Disney film, you see. Oh. You must keep that in mind. Yeah, this oh. is Disney. And, uh, I wasn't expecting you to say that. <laughs> One of the interesting things is that though I did, you know, I watched the film and then I look at uh, kind of reviewers and uh, I kind of think, well, what have they got to say about it? And one of the things, of course, that annoyed me is that, well, there's not much blood in it. And you're thinking, hello, it's, it's a Disney, Disney movie. Okay. Well, people do die. I mean, let's make that quite clear. Oh. Uh, yeah, I think it's the first kind of uh, live action Disney film to actually get a 13 rating, I think. So keep that in mind if, uh, you know, you're going to have uh, younger kids uh, watch this at some stage. People do die. People get hit by arrows. But there's not the, the, the violence, obviously, because it's a Disney film isn't really explicit. There could have been a lot more blood and gore because of the story now. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Disney aren't going to allow that. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is that it's, uh, what Disney have been doing over the last few years, of course, is making live action versions of some of their old animated favourites. And this is one of them. I don't know if you ever saw the animated film, did you, in the past? I did, yeah. I, I did. Because when I saw it first, I think, is this the animated one? I said, that's an old movie. And then yeah. I said, oh, they've made it. Yeah, the animated film is kind of, this, the storyline is pretty much the same, but okay. it's different in the fact that they decided, look, what we'll do here is we won't have any of the songs. Uh, the character that was the of the dragon that was voiced by Eddie Murphy who was yeah. really funny in the yeah, original film yeah. they decided look they won't use that as well and they try and make a kind of a serious type kind of martial arts kind of movie for Disney uh, that's kind of similar to Crunching Tiger and Hidden Dragon and uh, House of the Flying Daggers which are movies uh, very much from that kind of genre and that's what they decided to do But and a new direction for Disney Very well I think so yeah and a more, much more kind of serious direction as well I mean I think they made a kind of a genuine attempt to make film that are kind of similar to that within the confines of of uh, what Disney kind of do yeah. and I think that uh, it succeeded I mean I enjoyed it very much some of the people uh, who have watched it have been very very uh, not very complimentary about it and one of them I said references the, the, the fact that it's not particularly funny and that uh, the dragon isn't there and the songs aren't there but they've decided look we're not going to go down that way we're going to try and make this kind of movie I don't th- I think it would have been better possibly I mean the thing about it is that it's got a lot of criticism you know for whitewashing in the sense that yes the, um, the cast are all Asian but the director and all the crew were all white and I think um, 
the director is from New Zealand and I think it might have been better I think if they actually maybe brought in a director from kind of uh, from China who makes these kind of things and it might have been better because some of the action sequences they're a bit kind of clunky at times and they don't really really quite work and I think that's a, and I think that's a and bit that's of a shame. down to the director and his experience in making these kind of movies I think it's a woman actually her, her name is Nikki Caro yeah and I think I think exactly and that's all it is because the rest of it I think there are there are times in the film I got very very emotionally involved in it and really really enjoyed it I love the fact that you've got this kind of female warrior pretending to be a man and and being as good as uh, anybody as else and even better because she's got this power which is called chi which not many people have but the thing is is that at times it's kind of clunky for example the reveal when she's revealed as a woman I think could have been done way better there was a scene for example much later where she has proved herself in battle but once the um, her superiors find out that she is a woman they are ready to kill her because she has lied and um, within three minutes they're asking her to lead them all into battle so I think there are times the editing and the direction is a little bit clunky and it doesn't really really quite work which is a bit of a shame um, but when it does work I thought it was absolutely terrific I really enjoyed it I wasn't bored at all by it in any way shape or form and uh, I thought it was way way better than I thought it was going to be and I'm assuming that's on the Disney channel is it? yes but you've got to pay twenty one ninety nine for it which is kind of a bit tasty oh, a bit you saucy. know it is but if you bring your three let's say you brought cinema. your three kids to the kids yeah, cinema or something you'd yeah. pay more than that anyway I normally pay about 10 euros so I wasn't really that bothered the film cost 200 million to make <sighs> so Disney have got to try and get their money back and somehow in the first weekend they did uh, uh, retrieve 33.5 million which at least is somewhat yeah. you know helps the, the, the hurt I think but I think for a film that cost 200 million to make apparently it's got to make about 300 million to actually kind of break even and I don't think they're going to do that I think they are going to make a loss uh, on it um, again as I say for younger kids maybe who are a bit sensitive um, to uh, violence I think it is a 13 cert so okay. do be aware of that but um, if it's your introduction to this kind of culture and kind of tradition and these kind of movies I think it's a pretty good start OK Mark it out of 10 do you know I'd give it a healthy 8 8 out of 10 I okay. actually it. when I mentioned to Simon earlier that I would be talking to you about movies it led us to talk about going back to, have you been back in the cinema I haven't been back yet but I have been looking at the kind of seating arrangements and, yeah. it, and they are it, it is very clever because what they do is basically if you pick your seat there's nobody within the seats next to you behind you or in front of you yeah. my worry alright is somebody two seats behind you coughing on your neck so I was kind of thinking yeah. at one stage will I go to Tenet which I probably will do at some stage will I just take the, the, the back row way off the back oh, <laughs> and I was thinking that, no would, that would be you. the seat for me but yeah. I haven't gone back yet but I, I will yeah, be very Simon soon Simon went and said yeah that it was really he felt very safe which That's is, good. That's which, good. is where, which is where and we need people back uh, in exactly. the cinema exactly. ok the next movie you watch for us is Guest House yeah which is dreadful I mean it really really is it's <laughs> awful if I named uh, uh, give you the name Paulie Shore would that mean anything to no. you he was a big big star in the, in the 90s do you remember in the late 80s when kind of MTV decided to not show kind of videos anymore yeah. and music videos and they decided they decided to have their own kind of homegrown kind of uh, in studio made kind of programming yeah. and out of that came this man by the name of Paulie Shore who was kind of one of those kind of surfer dudes you know talked really really slowly you know we had Bill and Ted and all those kind of characters and he came out of that kind of uh, kind of uh, Los Angeles San Francisco kind of um, um, kind of scene and uh, for a while there back in the 90s I mean he was really really big star he made four big huge films in a row Encino Man Son-in-Law In the Army Now and Biodome and he basically played Paul E. Shore in all of those films um, the critics hated them uh, they really did and they hated him because they thought he was just crude and rude and stupid and silly but 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 fans kind of lapped it up and the films did really well the problem then is that his career because of the criticism just died and he just went nowhere I saw him being interviewed about two or three years ago and somebody said to him I think it was Joe Rogan who said what happened to you and he just said look Hollywood didn't know what to do with me and, ah. and so and so he's back in this film he is one of the producers so obviously he has been 
you know, pushing to try and get his career back on track again. He's not going to do it with this, though, because it oh, is no. utterly terrible. It really is. The thing about his character is that in the past, even though his character was very, very annoying, there was a kind of a level of sweetness about him. You kind of were attracted to the fact that he was underneath they're all really nice. In this film, yes, he is playing Paulie Shore, but he's a nasty, horrible, horrible creature. He really is. Nothing and to like about him. Nothing to like about him at all. The, it's not funny, it's violent, it's nasty, it's horrible. And uh, and I didn't like it at all. The only interesting thing, it's got a kind of an 80s, ironically, feel about it, considering he was a big star in the 90s. Lou Ferrigno. Do you remember Lou Ferrigno? I did. The I Incredible did. Hulk. Yeah. Uh, he makes an yeah. appearance. His son makes an appearance in the film. Steve-O from Jackass. I don't know why he's in the film, but <laughs> they just got him to run through a plate glass window. Obviously, that's possibly why. Uh, it was horrible. It was dreadful. It was not funny <laughs> and nasty and disgusting. It's called Guest House, house yeah. <laughs> Market out of 10. I'm not giving it anything. Oh, <laughs> zero out of 10. That's our first, I think, for, for the year. <laughs> Listen, Mark, thank you for that okay. and have a lovely week. We'll chat again next week. That's Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.